That's not. <laughs> that's illegal for, to, to tell me that. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome into the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Belshadi. With me now and always is my boy, Kyle Settle. What is going on, dude? I did not want to win like this. Oh. I come out with the last show, spitting these fire takes, letting everybody know that Cam Akers was a bust, stay away, and for the two or three people that might have been able to listen to the show and drafted in the subsequent 72 hours before Cam Akers tears his Achilles, I'm sure they wish they would have listened to me. But I hate it because I'm right now for all the wrong reasons, and I won't get the credit for being right. Cam Akers absolutely would have fallen on his face in 2021 compared to ADP. I would have been the one singing it Pause. beforehand, and now Pause. it all comes down to an injury. I hate it. Let's slow it down, okay? Like we just started the show. No, I hate lot, it. Got a lot of news to get to. It's been a rough week, man. Okay. The, the first thing I'll say is you're deceiving the, the people. We take Gotham from the corrupt and we give it back to you, the people. You're deceiving the people, okay? Because not only were you so happy that you won like this, you spent the, the previous two days just destroying me. Via our league chat, because guess who drafted Cam Akers in the second round of a dynasty startup a day I told before? You. I told you not to he do it. Achilles. I, I messaged you in the minutes up to your pick, telling you, "Hey man, I hope you take Cam Akers so I can rub it in your face." You should have listened to me, man. It's yeah, been years. I should have put been my towel between my legs and just picked who you thought I should pick. You need you to learn know who that I, I know more than you and start just blindly listening to me. You will reap the benefits, my friend. Yeah, whatever. We'll see. Well, we're already diving into the news, so let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Extra, extra, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. As you so eloquently put it, Cam Akers has torn his Achilles. Now, I'm sure you've heard takes from all different fantasy analysts, uh, especially the ones that love to run to Twitter and Talk about how sorry they am for a person they never met. Make sure everybody knows how sorry they are. And then they give their fantasy advice. So I think we're going to skip straight to the fantasy advice. How do you feel about Daryl Henderson and the other backs after this uh, terrible, terrible news? All right. So a few things to tackle. First, you ask me how I feel about the other backs. Obviously, Daryl Henderson's the lead back. The only question is where you're putting him at this point. In a lot of redraft leagues, I see him going around fourth round. It usually seems to be the consensus in that mid-RB2 range. In Dynasty, it is very interesting because obviously the Achilles is going to keep Cam out all season, but 
there's no track record of a running back really coming back from an Achilles injury, which take this with a grain of salt because it's not common to tear your Achilles. It's a very uncommon injury. But when it does happen, we usually don't see these running backs bounce back to their former selves. So if Cam Akers does come back in 2022 or maybe even worst case 2023, is he going to be the same back that people thought he was going to be? But now as a dynasty owner, how much do you really put in Daryl Henderson? Because as soon as Cam Akers comes back, I have to imagine this is some sort of split. I don't think I'm investing a lot in Daryl Henderson right now. If I'm a team that feels like it's an RB2, RB3 away, then okay, I'll push some chips in. I'll give a second round pick, maybe even a, a late first. If I'm really just desperate for it, I could see paying that price. But it's really just going to muddy the situation moving forward in the LA backfield. I'd be very concerned if I took Dell Henderson, you know, in the fifth or sixth round, how I think people are looking at him now because with all the hype around Cam Akers and the fact that they drafted Cam Akers after having Dell Henderson and his injury history come into this year, I mean, all, all that, all that together would just make me scared to invest a high pick into him. And especially because they weren't planning on this. So what are the odds that they, you know, pivot and sign another back or, yeah, uh, I think that's probably coming during roster cuts here yeah. in about a month or so. I, I don't think they like anyone who's on the market right now and who can blame them really with what's out there. So mm-hmm. I think as soon as we start to see bodies drop and whether it's in camp cutdowns or the preseason that they bring in one of these guys who ends up getting left off the final 53 of another club. Yeah, I saw some people who were touting Dell Henderson say, you know, they already came out and said they're not pursuing a, a, a veteran back. It's like, yeah, of course, they, it was hours after – Cam makers just tore his Achilles. They're not going to be like, yeah, you know, we're going out and signing a guy right away. No, they said we're not looking to do that at, at this moment. And, of course, that's what they're going to say. And why wouldn't you look, though? I mean, all you have is Daryl Henderson and then, what, an undrafted free agent and a seventh-round pick. And yeah. for, for a team that's ready to compete for a Super Bowl, I think they're going to want some veterans in that room. I would I'll bet. tell you what, though, I am – I am excited to see what Daryl Henderson can do with the opportunity, though. I know you and I were both fans of him when he was coming out of Memphis. He's a very talented running back, and he just really wasn't able to get on the field for extended periods of time in his first couple of seasons. So this is really the final shot for him if he wants to prove that he's able to be a lead back in the league. Yeah, I remember when he was coming out, he was a high-round high rookie, high rookie mm-hmm. pick. I think he was like top six. For most people, he was he was a highlight real player, and I, I think he went what day two in the third round, I believe. Mm-hmm. He was a highlight real waiting to happen. That's as a lot of those Memphis running backs are. I was a big fan of him, but then he he had like one game where he played like a handful of snaps in his rookie season, and then he split in time in year two, and y'all but give up. And now to the Acres news, this is his chance. He could revitalize some value. Maybe. So with with the Cam Acres news out of the way, the obituary has been written and read. Let's talk about Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas expected to miss several weeks of the season. I've never heard that. What? A common saying? The obituary written in red. Is that a common thing? Uh, No, it just kind of flowed. It is now. You said that with confidence. It sounded good. Good for you. Sorry, K-Makers. Michael Thomas expected to miss several weeks of the season. So he, he had that ankle injury last year, and now the ankle injury flared up in uh, some voluntary stuff in May, from what I read. And then in June, he gets the surgery. And the expected timeline for recovery for the specific surgery that he had is four months. So if you if you calculate that out, it's expected to be around mid-October that he'd get back. And I think that might be a little ambitious. And as a guy that, that spent a lot of 
premium assets and have traded for Michael Thomas this offseason. It's tough to hear, but it got to be realistic. If you're not getting Michael Thomas, a 28-year-old wide receiver, until halfway through this season, coming off an ankle injury, a major surgery, uh, I don't think you can expect to get much out of him at all this season. And I know that's it's hard to hear, and some people think that he could just come back in mid-October and be the Michael Thomas of old. But, you know, as a guy that thought Michael Thomas was going to lead the league in targets this year, it sucks, but it's the way that it is. And, uh, you know, maybe look for Kyle's boy, Traquan Smith, to come in and steal a ton of targets now. Um, but mm-hmm. other than that, I, I can't really get too excited about this, uh, this Saints offense at all. If Traquan Smith can't, pass up Emmanuel Sanders in the target totem pole. I, I, I don't know if he can pass up even the young guys that are that he's surrounded with. I just I think the first three or four receivers in the Saints uh depth chart right now are all the guys twenty five and under, Traquan Smith, uh Marcus Calloway, a few of these young guys who who did all right. They were all low volume guys and I don't expect the volume to increase. We obviously don't know who the quarterback's gonna be yet, but a lot of a lot of what I'm hearing right now is the Michael Thomas injury short sort of leads to Taysom Hill probably starting the season as the quarterback for the Saints, which is what nobody wanted for fantasy. We Everyone wants to see Jameis in there. If, if your top option is going to be Traquan Smith, you got to get a little bit creative with the offense. And because of that, we might see Sean Payton stick to the Taysom Hill role. Who can more than Jameis create opportunities for the offense on his own? I mean, how many, how many interceptions do you think Jameis Winston's throwing if his top two options are Marcus Calloway and Traquan Smith? Like, you can't be confident in that offense. Oh, no. I don't think Sean Payton has the patience to, to let Jameis go out there and throw to those guys. Um, you know, Tameis Hill. Tameis Hill. Taysom Hill. Tameis Hill. Hill. That's a hell of a quarterback. Give him Jameis' arms with the rest of Tameis. Tame- Damn it, now I did it. <laughs> Taysom Hill can at least – create a little bit of offense on his own. I mean, look at offenses around the league that have rushing quarterbacks uh, that rely on them, like the Eagles at the end of last year. Um, very different from majority of offenses. Uh, the, what the Ravens do with Lamar Jackson, it's it's not very conducive to fantasy points to uh, to wide receivers. So as much as these guys might get a bump in, in targets and snap counts, I still don't think you can get very excited about them. Yeah, two guys in New Orleans who might take a step forward and might have seen a little stock increase, Alvin Kamara and Adam Troutman. With Troutman, and now it's vacated targets at the tight end position where he's got it all to himself. And is Kamara, like we talk about Traquan Smith being the number two option, Kamara's always been the number two option in that offense. So if, I mean, this offense is going to be, it's going to be fun to see what Sean Payton does with it, how he manufactures points with this group of guys he has, but it's not necessarily an offense I'm targeting. I, th- I think Kamara does see a big stock increase, though. I think he's guaranteed for 100-plus targets now if he's going half the season without uh, Michael Thomas. Um, I do have one question for you, because you're an owner of both these guys in multiple leagues. Who do you rank higher in Dynasty right now? 28-year-old Michael Thomas, who's going to be out for about half the season, or 22-year-old Cam Akers, oh. who's going to be coming off a torn Achilles and may never return to being himself i'm not ready for this question come on (laughs) (laughs) if i had to come poach one from you which one would you part with first uh i would part with michael thomas first because he's done it before k makers was still a bit of a projection but i don't think you can get much for k makers right now i mean you'd be selling for for very very low and you can at least convince somebody that michael thomas is going to get back this year and be the michael thomas we thought he was um i'm still not sure that's possible but 
Um, you could definitely convince somebody of that. I don't know if you can convince anybody at this point that K-Makers is going to be an RB1 in 2022 when he's torn his Achilles so close to the start of 2021. So, yeah. yeah it's, I, it's not even a guarantee he's back in time next season. Yeah, it's not a guarantee he's back in time. And, you know, there is detractors of K-Makers like you out there that think it was never going to happen. So Are they? Because I'm the only one I've heard. I, I don't know these other guys. <laughs> I've heard hey, some rumblings, me up. but... But they they had they uh, hid in the shadows until he got injured, and then now they're hey. they're Dow Henderson truthers. Do you think that this kind of unlocks Troutman? Do you think this could, this could lead to him being uh, talked in the uh, you know Dallas Goddard tier, or do you think that's too ambitious? That's very ambitious. If it was still like prime Drew Brees or even later career Drew Brees, then I'd be a lot more optimistic about it. But I don't have any faith in. In Taysom or Jameis, I gotta be mm. careful to say them the right way. Tim I don't have any hope in these guys. I think both of them will be able to make sure that Alvin Kamara is an RB one. I think they'll get that. But outside of that, no, it, it's a complete coin flip on what we're gonna get from Sean Payton Saints in 2021. So if you had to have a take on this one, late rounds, you know, double digit rounds, Traquan Smith or Marquez Callaway. Traquan Smith's going to go higher in your drafts. I was already stashing Marquez Callaway in, in the back of my mind anyway, knowing that he's one of the younger receivers on this team. And, and he shined when he did get the ball. We've seen time after time, and, and you asked me, ironically, at the end of last show about that guy that we're holding on to that really hasn't done it yet. And I said Traquan Smith was that guy for me. He's had opportunity after opportunity to step up as the number two receiving option there, and he just hasn't done it. So I, I think... Instead of going a couple rounds earlier at Traquan Smith, I think I'd probably rather wait a couple rounds and grab me Marquez Callaway. With such a fantasy important offense like the past few years, it's crazy to see how far they've fallen in just, you know, six months. But uh, I, I think you could see this offense turning into a New England style offense or a Baltimore style offense where you're more looking at the rushing options and uh, them being a slower pace of play kind of team. So maybe you can get value out of a guy like Stevie Scott, who I know has gotten some hype, who's the kind of the bruiser back behind Alvin Kamara's. You know, he could be the thunder to Alvin Kamara's lightning um, if uh, Latavius Murray is, in fact, busted. I know he's been getting a lot of hype. So he's a deeper shot on a New, on a New Orleans team that you're kind of really searching for value on at this point. They've just been decimated by this offseason and, and several injuries and having to get rid of good players in order to get under the cap. Man, tough time to be a New Orleans fan, tough time to be an owner of a lot of these assets on New Orleans. Yeah, this stuff's not supposed to happen before camp. This is supposed to be the stuff that we're gritting our teeth through week three of the preseason. This is not supposed to be happening in mid to late July. We're supposed to wait another month for this, y'all. We're getting all the bad parts of football right now with none of the actual football to watch. It's not fair. Yeah. Soon, I mean, someone's going to get popped for PEDs. That's coming. Guaranteed. I'm still holding on to my Will Fuller from last year, so that bridge <laughs> has been crossed. He's got he's got one week left on the suspension that it's wheels up in Miami. But uh let's hey, move I'm on buying. to <laughs> let's move on to two uh high profile players starting camp on the pop, and that is Saquon Barkley and Amari Cooper. And listen to what I said, they're starting training camp on the pop, right? Um they're not being placed on the long term physically unable to perform list, so they could be taken off whenever uh, the team thinks that they're ready to start playing. But this is stemming from injuries they had in the season last year that are still lingering. Saquon Barkley's destructive knee injury that, uh, you know, isn't exactly healing correctly, I think, 
from what I read, um, he's still having stiffness in his knee. He's still not putting a timeline on when he's coming up. And then Amari Cooper's ankle. Um, of these two guys, are you concerned about them? And, and would you kind of hesitate to take them early? I know you just took Saquon Barkley in that uh, dynasty startup we had, but this was before that pup news came out. I'm not worried about the active pup. Like you said, you did a good job explaining this is the active pup, which means they can come off at any time as opposed to the pup that I think a lot of people think of whenever they hear the pup, which is you're out for the first six weeks of the season. That's not the case. I think we're going to get a good look. Saquon, because he's such a center point of attention anyway, just being who he is, the best running back prospect of all time. So there's going to be plenty of cameras on him throughout training camp, throughout the preseason. And we're going to get plenty of updates seeing where he's at. Like I said, if he gets into the preseason and, and he's still in limited work or he's still on the active pup, then I get a little concerned. As for Amari Cooper... Hard Doc starts in like a week, man. So we're going to get plenty of exposure to this Dallas Cowboys team. And I'm sure it's going to be one of the storylines that they're going to be following is where is Amari Cooper along in his recovery. So I, I think we have plenty of time to figure out what's going on. As for how it affects me, if I have to draft right now, it, it still doesn't. I'll still take the risk with both of these guys. I think Saquon is going at a discount right now. Instead of seeing him go as one of the first three or four picks off the board, we're seeing him fall to the late round. Uh, or the late first round and even into the second round in some super flex leagues. So I, th I think he's definitely going at a value right now. And as far as Amari Cooper, no one's really overly excited to draft Amari Cooper when he comes around. He's one of those last kind of WR1 candidates off the board. So I think he's going at a little bit of a discount as well. You could probably snag him in the fourth, fifth rounds of some drafts. You never like to draft injured players, but it's not concerning enough for me to avoid these guys just yet. Do you think that... Uh this news about Amari Cooper is enough for you to be definitive about drafting C say and redraft drafting CeeDee Lamb over Amari Cooper for 2021. I think that's already the way the pendulum was swinging anyway. After the season we saw last year, I heard an interesting stat on CeeDee Lamb is if you were to extrapolate the season he was having before the Dak injury, so the time he had with Dak Prescott in 2020, extrapolate that over an entire season, his numbers would have been nearly identical to Justin Jefferson, who just posted one of the best wide receiver seasons we've already had. So I think the hype train had left the station a long time ago with C.D. Lamb. And, and yeah, I think even in redraft, yeah, if it was a debate in your mind and you have to leave it up for something, I, I think we're going to see C.D.'s ADP continue to rise and Amari's might trickle down as a direct correlation to uh, CD Lamb's ADP going up. I couldn't agree more, especially, you know, between this news about Amari Cooper and the inevitable hard knocks bump that players oh, always yeah. get. You know, CD Lamb's going to be a first round pick in three weeks. So the, uh, the Saquon Barkley thing is more concerning to me than the Amari Cooper injury. Um, Saquon Barkley, it's just, it was such a devastating injury. It was, it was a pretty, um, it's really bad knee injury. It's not your typical torn ACL or anything like that. And the fact that he had a delay in, in when his surgery actually occurred, uh, it's been less than 10 months since, or yeah, less than 10 months since he had that surgery. So mm -hmm. I just think it's, uh, there is reason to be concerned in my eyes. I would still take him because the upside is, is super mm -hmm. high. If I had to, uh, if I had to say, I'd be a little bit more concerned about Saquon here than Amari. Kadarius Tony. First round pick by the New York Giants is starting training camp on the COVID list. Not good news for a young rookie wide receiver who, from all accounts, needs a lot of work to uh, to get to NFL stardom. Um, just in terms of the way he plays the game and competing as a as a professional wide receiver, so not great news there. 
And lastly, Ramondre Stevenson, fourth-round pick by the Patriots, is starting the season on the non-football injury list. Does this help Damian Harris's stock at all, or do you think it's kind of insane? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard to answer that. I don't know what kind of role that either of these guys were really going to have. Year one out of the gates, you have uh, with Ramondre Stevenson going to New England. You have Coach Belichick, who's usually not keen on putting rookies into the into the fire right away. So he was probably going to have to earn and carve out a role on his own, and this isn't going to help. And Kadarius Tony was taken with, like you said, as sort of a project mentality of what he could eventually be. I don't know how many how much we were expecting from him in his rookie year, especially in such a crowded receiving core, not necessarily a top-heavy receiver core, but a lot of NFL veterans who have kind of earned their spot on the field, but not much else. So it was already going to be an uphill battle for him to get significant snaps. And and now if he's on the COVID list, I think it's a couple weeks before he can get back to his team. Never good for a rookie whenever you're missing the integral part of joining a football team, learning the playbook. Obviously, he's already had the playbook and everything like that, but actually getting to go out there and execute these things with your teammates makes a big difference. We saw that with a lot of rookies last season when we had to shut down the obviously the entire process because of COVID. So it's it's not giving them any kind of head start. And if you're drafting these guys and you need them to make an impact year one, that's a rough spot to be in. Yeah, they both seem like they're, they already started behind the eight ball, and then this stuff is just – Really slowing down the development. But that's all we got for the news here. We kind of buried the lead about what this, this episode is going to be about. I'm excited about this one because it is our take on which offenses you should avoid and which offenses you should target. You know, it's great because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the episodes we've done recently are rankings, you know, who we think is better than who. But this is our chance to explain, give some analysis on certain offenses. It give you the tools you need to make the, your own decisions about your team and in your draft. So, I think uh, I think it's gonna be a good one. And we're gonna start with offenses we're targeting. So, Kyle, you want to go first? Who's the first offense you're targeting, and why? Sure, in uh, in no particular order. So the way that I did, I. Uh, broke my teams down was I talked about specific parts of each of these offenses that I want to get a hands on whether that be the passing game or the running game we've all been on the clock on our in our dynasty drafts our startup drafts whatever where we have to make that decision that if I'm not going to get this guy who's going early I got to make sure I get some piece of this offense later on we just talked about during the news segment if I can't get me some CD lamb and my Cowboys offense I got to make sure that I get Amari Cooper a couple of rounds later so we're going to give a lot of examples of that of these offenses that we've got to get a piece of some part of it and I'm going to start with the Atlanta Falcons the Atlanta Falcons passing game in particular Matt Ryan right now in Dynasty ADP is going as quarterback 22 off the board. That's 100% an age discount. Everyone knows that. He's 36 years of age. But at QB 22, we're already baking in that he's going to have the worst season of his NFL career. He's been a top 20 quarterback every single season of his NFL career. This is a new age. These quarterbacks are built differently than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. All right. They're much more conscious about what's going into their body, how they're training in the offseason, and we're seeing them play a lot longer because of it. We had two 40-plus-year-old quarterbacks starting in the NFL last season, and now Matt Ryan at 36 years of age, yeah, you're probably not getting another five years of QB1 out of Matt Ryan, but I think he presents a QB2 floor. He's been a quarterback one, even in his advanced age, each of the last three seasons, so why are we giving him such a discount? His wide receiver one for at least this season is going to be Calvin Ridley, and he's the only one of this passing game that I think is priced appropriately with their draft stock. He's going right now as wide receiver seven. 
finished last season with 90 catches, 1,374 yards, and nine touchdowns. So he's a proven WR1 with Julio Jones now out the door. Let me stop you there for a second. I got to ask one thing about Calvin Ridley because it, someone asked me the other day, and I kind of surprised myself with the answer, but do you think Calvin Ridley has the wide receiver one in his range of outcomes? I think, yeah. I, I wouldn't bet on it. I think yeah. he's being, like I said, priced appropriately right now. I, I think, yeah, I think WR1, the WR1 is in his range of outcomes. It's going to yeah, be I, an offense with a bad defense, so should be a lot of scoring that they're putting up. He's the bona fide number one. His main competition is a rookie. So, yeah, I, I, I can see a path to him being the WR1. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I surprised myself by saying that because I, I never really looked at Calvin really that way, even after the Julio news. But when you pose that question, it's kind of – when. When you hear that question posed to you, it's hard to deny it. I mean, think about those shootouts they're going to be in in the mm-hmm. NFC South or just bad game scripts in general. He's going to get so many targets. It's it's crazy. But continue. Sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, so the WR2 that he has to compete with is Russell Gage. We talked about him last show being criminally undervalued right now for an offense that should be at least in the top half, if not the top 10, top five in the league. He's going as WR81. Like I said last year, that's criminal. You know why? I'm a criminal. I hate it. I don't understand it. He was on pace in his last four games without Julio last year. 16-game pace of 92 yards, 1,056 or 92 catches rather, and 1,056 yards. That's easily WR2, WR3 range. Yeah, he's going. I don't. I can't even math what the WR81 is. That what is that like an, <laughs> R, an RB six, like or a wide yeah. receiver six? I, I don't. I don't get that. And he's still young. I, I think he's still only 24, 25 years old. Like I, I don't get why this is being baked into his ADP. Uh, maybe it's because everyone's so terrified of the next guy that we're going to talk about, and that's Kyle Pitts. Yes, the bus-proof tight end. I want him anywhere I can get him. And no, I will not be discouraged if he has a quote-unquote down season for where he's being drafted. You know how I feel about this guy because I talk about him every single week, and I put my money where my mouth is on that last dynasty startup like you talked about, and I grab me some Kyle Pitts, and I can't wait to just sit back and enjoy the ride at tight end for the next 10 years. <laughs> We with the greatest tight end prospect second. of all time. <laughs> we got to talk about this for a second. So we did this dynasty startup, right? And Kyle absolutely hates rookie drafts, trades away every rookie pick he has to get proven players, you know, not a bad Usually. strategy in most cases. But he starts this dynasty startup with Trevor Lawrence, Saquon Barkley. <laughs> Who else? How many rookies did you get? Pitts. So Pitts went in the third. Then Pitts. I came back and grabbed Trey Lance and followed it up with Javante Williams. So four of my first five <laughs> picks shit. out of the gate. <laughs> and, and honestly, I felt like I got good value at every single one. Pitts in the third, I love in a tight end premium league uh, for my quarterback two to get Trey Lance, a guy with top six upside as soon as he becomes the starter. And then Javante Williams, who I think is going at a little bit of a discount just because of the crowded backfield. These guys, I did not go out of my way to draft young guys. I felt like they were all the best pick at the spot I was in. But the thing that happened there I sort of had to pivot my strategy because I sit back and I look at my team after five rounds and I see four of these guys have never played in the NFL yet. So I can't draft some of these guys that I look at as a value in the middle rounds because then my team's going to be peaking at that season with all these rookies. And, and that's just a not a sound strategy. So it completely changed the way I did a draft. I picked a team that probably has no shot to compete year one, which is something I never do. I highly discourage it. But after the way the first uh, half dozen or so rounds went, I, I just I had to pivot. I had to go with I had to roll with the punches. I mean, but that's the value of, of, of getting a lot of drafts and, and doing mock drafts. You can test out these strategies. I mean, 
you never know what's going to happen on draft day. I mean, with a slow draft like, like we're doing, um, it gives you some extra time to figure it out. So, you know, if you, if you're getting value on these picks and their rookies, I mean, I told you, I don't, I don't hate your team at all. I like it. I mean, I think it's pretty cool to, to I'm start hate off, it for uh, the next calendar year. Maybe not as much as I'm going to hate it. <laughs> the oh, next calendar yeah. year with Cam Akers. Cam Akers, and Michael, Michael Thomas, Thomas RIP. <laughs> all right. Take it away. All right, man. I got my first offense to target and that is the Dallas Cowboys. So as a Philly fan, it pains me to say, but the Dallas offense is going to be earth shattering. They are talent rich across the board. I mean, you got Dak, Zeke, Lamb, Cooper, and then some other auxiliary pieces like Pollard and Gallup and maybe Jarwin if, if he's healthy and uh, gets all the playing time I think he deserves. But you look at how they were when Dak was healthy last year. We saw record-breaking offensive output. Um, and, you know, that being said, anybody in their right mind would not have predicted it to continue at that pace. But, you know, through the first four weeks, they were they were dominant and um, they were putting up well over like 25 points a game. But what we can count on is their pace of play is going to remain very high. When Kellen Moore was the OC, he had, he's been there for about three years now. They've remained close to the top, if not like the top five in the league in pace of play since he was you know installed as the OC. They actually finished second last year in pace of play. So we know that there's going to be opportunity for them to throw the ball 700 times, uh, get a ton of rushing attempts. And between that opportunity and the talent that, is going to be utilizing or is going to be handed that opportunity. I think that they could be the best offense in football, you know, to put the cherry on top, they're going to have to compensate for a very bad defense. So I, I think all these things put together, I mean, you have the makings of a fantasy gold mine that we should all get a piece of. And there's not many pieces on this offense that I think are, are overpriced either. Either Dak as a dynasty quarterback, I would not mind getting Dak as a top five quarterback in dynasty. I think he's that good. Zeke, uh, he's a tough, he's a tough case, you know. Zeke's the I one still, I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, he, he's a tough case. I, I, I still like him a lot for this year. Um, I, I don't think they can get rid of him next year either because no, of the contract. I, I got his contract pulled up right now. The first potential out would be after the 2022 season. If they cut him next season, they'd have a $16.5 million dead cap hit. Yeah. So they're not about to take that on. Or sorry, a $23.2 million dead cap after next oh season. Oh my so gosh, 16 is, back. is the actual cap hit he's going to take, right? If they cut him after 2022, so before the 23 season, you take dead cap hits of 6.7 mil and then 2.6 mil and then he's off your books. But if you don't and you decide to keep him past that point, he's going to get 10.9 mil, 10 mil flat, 15.4 and then 16.6 due to him in 2026 and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent at the age of 32. There's no way he plays out that whole contract, right? Absolutely not. No. So you I think mean, 20 after 2022 is the time he's going to go? Yeah. And it makes sense to me. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense because, you know, number one, them them giving him this contract is just mind blowing. Yeah, while you're waiting to pay all these other positions too. That was before they paid Dak. I mean, yep. they paid a linebacker and a running back before they played a franchise quarterback. But um, either way, I think I don't think he was really that as bad as people make it out um, at last year. It's just when Dak went down, everything went to shit. The whole offense. It wasn't just Zeke. Um, so you can't look at at him. You can't isolate him and say he. You know, he's he's old and busted now. I still think he's going to have a great 2021 and potentially a really good 2022. As long as they reinvest in the offensive line, they're starting to get older. 
and uh, not be what the unit that we once thought they were. But then you look at the pass catching options with CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. We kind of talked about them a little bit earlier. Uh, they're going very close to each other in drafts, and for for good reason. If Dak is just eighty percent of what he was for the first four weeks of the season last year, you have two fantastic assets and Lamb and Cooper, especially Lamb and Dynasty, considering how young he is. L- let me then, let me ask you ahead. this. Because uh, I think the passing game is just hammer the buy button. I don't think you're going to get much pushback on that, whether it's the quarterback. But there's two things I want to bring up. First, since we're in the pass game, what are you doing with Blake Jarwin? Blake Jarwin, uh, I think he's he's a guy you could pick up if you punt tight end like I did. Yeah. Because there is some upside. I mean, you're buying the offense more than you're buying the player. You know, he has athleticism, which is my number one thing looking for for tight ends. And he's in a really good offense. So if healthy, he could be a solid, you know, low end tight end one. Uh, just a guy that you could throw out there regularly and be okay with it. Um, I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's ever going to, you know, push you to start him over a guy that you're drafting, like, you know, top five single rounds, digit top rounds or anything rounds. like that. Yeah. yeah. No way. Well, all right. My, ne- my next question, and probably the more in question, important question when it comes to the Cowboys, let's put yourself in a scenario, dynasty startup, and you get Zeke. Are you targeting Tony Pollard later in the draft, knowing, like we said, that it's more than likely that in a couple years it's going to be Pollard's backfield? And if you are targeting him, at what round do you start to make that transition and and aggressively push the button on Pollard? Well, I think if you draft Pollard, you're doing it for the now more than the later. Um, From what Pollard did last year, I think he has some standalone value. And if Zeke is, in fact, busted, or if he has a rough 2022, then Pollard's going to be a great asset, but Pollard's contract is actually up. I think in same, 22. same time as the the Zeke out is after the twenty twenty two season. So yeah, so, they'd so have Dallas, to resign him in that yeah, case. Dallas is either going to have to sign him while they're still point. paying dead money to Zeke, or Pollard is going to be out somewhere else. And That's a good uh, point. I think Pollard's a solid second contract candidate for a lot of different teams uh, when he puts on performances like he did last year. I think that's important to bring up because it's so often looked at in the, as the handcuff nature of okay if Zeke, excuse me, of okay if Zeke goes, then at least I got to give me some Tony Pollard. But in the next two seasons, that might be true. But we're expecting both of these guys to not be Dallas Cowboys by 2023. Maybe Tony Pollard signs a second contract with him. But like you said, if they decide to move on from Zeke, they have all that dad dead money that they're already putting that in, dad the, in money. the running back position. So all that dad money. All that dad money. <laughs> <laughs> they got to put towards the running back position. So it's probably more than likely they would just go address that position in day two or day three of the NFL draft. I know this Dallas offense pick was very chalk. Everyone's targeting Dallas. Right. Uh, it's not any breaking news. So so why don't you give me an offense you're avoiding? Let's get a little more interesting here. Oh, okay. You threw me for a curve there. I was already ready to tell you an offense I wanted. So now I got to scroll down in the show, show sheet. Thanks a lot. All oh, right. God so- forbid. Speaking of chalk, let me come at you with the Cleveland Browns passing game. I want nothing to do with it. (laughs) So Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, yeah, he's young, okay? But he's going right now as QB 18, so a mid-range QB 2. This guy does not present any upside. Like in Superflex, I'm okay with getting him late if he falls, but he's never in his first three years even been a top 15 quarterback. So that upside is just not there. In Superflex, there's a place for that. There's a place for a guy with a floor. So – I know you said he's QB 18, Matt Ryan's QB 22. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you locked and loaded by Baker Mayfield over Matt Ryan or vice versa? Or do you think there's some some, no, room, some wiggle room here since he is as young as he is? That's a team construct for me. If I have to wait on quarterback for whatever reason and 
I end up with one of those QB2 types without a lot of upside, like a Baker Mayfield, but without, I think these two would be a really good pairing, quite honestly, because mm-hmm. Baker presents that floor on a week-to-week basis, and I think Matt Ryan still presents a ceiling. So in a situation where I could get the two of them like that, maybe back-to-back on the turn, I think I'd be okay with it. There's a spot for Baker Mayfield, but it's not going to be on my team. Okay, I, I'm, I'm attacking quarterback before I have to settle for a Baker Mayfield. He's never, like I said, been a top 15 quarterback. He's never thrown for 4,000 yards. He's never scored 30 touchdowns. There's nowhere that the upside's coming from. And the Cleveland Browns just had their most successful year since Bill Belichick and Nick Saban were there. So they're not going to change the offense that they were just in, the Stefanski run-first offense, and it's not going to benefit Baker. It's not going to benefit any of the other weapons in the passing game. We talked about Odell Beckham already way back on our ranking show and just all the negativity surrounding him. He's on the Browns, and like I said, slow pace for the passing game. They were 28th in pass attempts per game last year, even with Nick Chubb missing four-plus games. For Odell himself, he hasn't had more than 77 catches, 1,100 yards, or six touchdowns since way back in 2016. And then his running mate, Jarvis Landry, he was the wide receiver 35 last season, even with Odell missing the vast majority. There goes all your upside. If you can lose the WR1 and the WR2 doesn't step up in any noticeable way, where's your upside? He's about the same age as Odell. He's 28. He'll be 29 in November. But just like Odell, it's been a long time since we've really seen what we want to see out of Jarvis Landry. He hasn't had more than 83 catches since back in 2017 when he was a Miami Dolphin. And that's how Jarvis gets his fantasy points is through the uh, passing game, getting lots and lots of catches, but he hasn't done it in Cleveland. And then the tight end, maybe my biggest avoid, I don't care where this guy falls to me in the draft, is Austin Hooper. He's not going early. He's going as the tight end 21, which is where he finished last season. But my gosh, you want to talk about a pedestrian season. If you bought Austin Hooper at that high point where he finished, I think, the year before that as the tight end six, and you went out and invested in him the following season, you hated it. 13 fantasy points. He did not cross that threshold all season. Zero games of multiple touchdowns, zero games of 75 or more receiving yards. Nothing about this passing game gets me excited at all. It's You get a little bit of a floor with Baker. That's about it. I don't want anything to do with these other guys. And Austin Hooper isn't talked about much, but I—I I mean, everybody remembers. I think when that hype, when he got that contract, the hype that was surrounding him, and um, it's easy to fall into hype when it comes to tight ends because it's so barren out there for like difference-making tight ends that you can latch on to a little bit of news or a big contract or something like that and get get drawn into one guy. And uh, unless his name's Adam Troutman, I don't think you should buy it. <laughs> Hell yeah, Adam Trout. All right, I'll I'll, uh, I'll hit up my first offense that I want to avoid, and that is New England Patriots, specifically their pass catchers. Everybody knows I love Damian Harris, but I'm going to talk specifically about the pass catchers in New England. Now, last year, they ended the season tied for last in the NFL in receiving touchdowns in general, to any position, just receiving touchdowns. They also were 31st in pass attempts, 27th in total yards, and 29th in pace of play. So they they ran the 29th fewest plays per game of any team in the league, which is just terrifying. That alone is scary, but then you start to think about the money they spent and the players they brought in this offseason. And maybe, maybe you're starting to think there's some targets here. There'll be some solid weapons on the offense now. But I disagree prim- primarily because I don't think their offensive philosophy is going to change. And I also don't think the players that they brought in are all that good. I mean, Nelson Aguilar, the best year of his career was last year. He was still under 900 yards and under 50 catches. I don't understand where all the hype around Nelson Aguilar is coming from. Kendrick Bourne, Kendrick Bourne, excuse me. Best year of his career was last year as well. 
under 700 yards and under 50 catches. Nothing to write home about. Nothing impressive. And that's their projected top two receivers on the offense. That's just, I mean, what, what, <laughs> what, what can you expect to get yeah. out of them? Even if they have their best year this year, it's no guarantee that they break the Patriots yards. went out there and they did what we would encourage probably every fantasy owner not to do. And they bought at the peak for all these guys coming off the best season of their career. You can even throw Johnny Smith in that mix because even though yeah. it was in unimpressive season it was the best one of his career so far I'm completely with you I don't want anything to do with these pass catchers I, I don't like Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry they're just continuing to cannibalize targets from each other for the next three years none of the wide receivers are proven it's an offense that isn't going to get much better even I don't think when Mac Jones is there and Cam Newton he's he's not doing any favors to any of these fantasy guys so as long as he keeps the job for me same thing hands off yeah not to mention like I'm predicting the tight ends wherever you're drafting them it's scary. Like you have to, you have to get them late to have any type of confidence in them. But I don't have confidence in either one of them. So my advice to you would be: let somebody else chase the contracts. You just follow the history, and uh, don't get sucked into this. I mean, Patriots pass catchers off limits. Yeah, I'm with you. No confidence. But you know what? I do have confidence in the Los Angeles Rams passing <laughs> game, baby. It's awesome, baby. Oh, oh. Too much? I got to talk about him here because I'm all upset because I wasn't able to target any of these guys in the last startup we did because they're all at or around their prime right now. But I think every single guy I'm about to talk about is a huge buy. Let's start with the man under center, and that's Matt Stafford. Going right now is the quarterback 16. He's one of the last guys I can say probably presents QB five or better upside. I would not be surprised to see uh, a high-end quarterback one season from Matt Stafford. He's 33 years old, so... Yeah, he's not on the front nine anymore, but he's by no means over the hill. He can still sling it. He's played in all 16 games of nine of his last 10 seasons. So don't let the injury-riddled season from a couple years ago taint your image on how durable Matt Stafford really is. He's almost a lock to play every game every season. And he was a top 10 quarterback in six of those 10 years. Now, obviously, the weapons have been upgraded around him. Not to take anything away from what Kenny Galladay is or might have been or Marvin Jones, but... They don't hold a candle to the receiving weapons they've got in L.A. right now. Cooper Cup and Bobby Trees, two of the most underrated underrated receivers every single season. And they're the next guys I'm going to talk about. 28 years old for Cooper Cup, 29 years old for Robert Woods. For Woods, we talked about him as, uh, I think, either as a sleeper candidate or maybe a late break. I can't remember. We talked about him a couple shows ago, but... You want to talk about durability, Robert Woods got it. He's played in 12 or more games of every single one of his eight seasons, and he spent the last three as a top 15 wide receiver. And that was with Jared Goff, who was just obviously traded away because he couldn't run the offense. So if the busted offense is making Robert Woods a top 15 wide receiver, what is an upgrade at quarterback who can actually run the offense going to do? And then the guy opposite it's him. It's going to make him slot. still underdrafted. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, got, it's, it's not an appealing pick when you got to sit there and take a 29-year-old Robert Woods because he's not a guy who's going to win you leagues, but he is a guy who will keep you afloat when you need him. Like, there's absolutely yeah. a place for him. That that and the fact that his running mate, Cooper Cup, is going right after him, it's easy for mm-hmm. those, both those guys to kind of slowly knock each other's ADP behind because nobody wants to be right. the first one to take a Rams wide receiver. Yeah, which one do you want? But in my opinion, I think it's Cooper Cup. But what do you what do you think? Cooper Cup or Robert Woods? So right now Robert Woods is going as the WR twenty seven. Cooper Cup is going as the twenty eight. Both of them underrated. The only reason I would take Cooper Cup 
is because I think he's the has the only unique role to himself in LA, and that's that slot receiver role. I think a lot of what Robert Woods does, you'll see some of these younger guys like Van Jefferson to do, and uh, they just brought in Deshaun Jackson, Tutu Atwell. Those two sort of share the same role of that downfield threat. Cooper Cup is the slot guy. All right, that, that's a unique spot for him at the wide receiver position. So that's I think why I would probably. Pull the trigger on him first, but I'm fine with Robert Woods as a consolation prize. Yeah, I talked about a few weeks ago, I talked about Matt Stafford's utilization of slot receivers in the past, especially uh, in his later years in Detroit. And it, it was remarkable, his, his the rate that he targeted slot receivers. So if you were worried about Cooper Cup at all, I think he's the most locked and loaded uh, productive receiver in this offense. But the, the, thing, the only thing that scares me, touchdown variability, like, the, the inability to predict how many touchdowns he's going to get is a little sure. scary because a lot, you that's know, just usually, the NFL though. I mean, yeah. how do you predict touchdowns for anyone? It's it's the most uh, ver- not versatile, a uh, volatile statistic uh, statistic we keep track of every single year. It's always changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, unless you're you know Julio Jones, then you're a lock for three touchdowns. Sure. Which yeah, Only everyone three. Wants. <laughs> but the last guy I'm going to talk about of all these guys, the three that I've talked about already, super excited to have any one of them on my team. But the one who I think is the best value right now by a landslide is Tyler Higby. He's going as the tight end 17 right now. So only a couple of spots against that bum Austin Hooper that we just talked about. I don't know. Gosh, why do I just turn this into an Austin Hooper bassing segment? There's no reason <laughs> to do that, but I just did it. All right. Tyler Higby, yeah, 28 years Hooper. old, <laughs> 28 years old. Okay. So same age as Cooper cup. He has played 15-plus games in every single of his five NFL seasons, and that is an accomplishment at the most injury-riddled position on the offense is the tight end. If I can get me a guy who's going to play 15-plus games every season, sign me up every time. For the first time in his career, he's going to be playing football without Gerald Everett. In 2020 and 2019, Tyler Higbee got six games in without Gerald Everett. In those six games extrapolate them out for a full 16. He would have caught 128 passes for 1,536 yards and 13 touchdowns. That would have been by far the best tight end season of all time. This guy was <laughs> off the charts whenever he got the tight end start to himself. Gerald Everett, obviously, he's gone up north to Seattle. He's out of the way of Tyler Higby, 28 years old, in his prime, upgrade at quarterback. Everything points to an upgrade for Tyler Higby. He's someone who I think could be one of these surprise top five finishes at the tight end position, going way down at tight end seventeen right now. Sign me up. Yeah, you don't have you don't have to convince me about Tyler Higby. I saw him catch three touchdown passes against the Eagles, and there I was bought in. <laughs> I was bought in from that moment on. I thought he crushed it. I mean, it 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 definitely hits harder when you see it happen right in front of your face live on television. But are you worried about the third round pick? tight end that they brought in Harris no. Joshua Harris I think no I, I'm not worried about rookie tight ends who aren't Kyle Pitts TJ Hawkinson something along that caliber because they're not going to come in right away and demand targets it's not going to happen it's a tight end position you got to learn how to block and run routes you can't get all that in in three months in the offseason right and luckily for Kyle Pitts he doesn't have to learn how to block he's going to be the new slot receiver for the Atlanta Falcons so he's going to come in I pretty can't sure wait till he busts all over the place I'll I'm bust all gonna, over your face no that's just that's just not that's not that's illegal to, to tell me that <laughs> all right all right here to that assault who is the second offense i want to target it's the philadelphia eagles you heard me right the mm. philadelphia eagles and in an offseason where they have been nothing but talked out about and rightfully so uh i want to bring some uh 
some sun, some sunshine on the Eagles, right? So there's risk in the unknown, but at the same time, there's value. And I think in the Eagles, uh, offense, they, they represent that value. Miles Sanders was being drafted as the RB11 last year. And now, depending on where you look, it's, it's roughly the RB22 to 25. And I think that's a, it's a good indicator of public opinion around the Eagles. We have to remember the show that was the Philadelphia Eagles last year. They led the league in offensive line combinations. And that, you know, can't go understated. And I, I talk about the offensive line probably more than any fantasy player I know because I truly think that it, it carries so much more weight than it fantasy does. analysts give it credit for. Um, but yeah, they, they led the league in O-line combinations. That's not a good thing, right? A ton of injuries. Not to mention the, the downright horrible quarterback play that the uh, offense was subjected to with Carson Wentz for, you know, 12 weeks of the season. So you take those two into, into effect or into your, into your uh, consideration. And then in this year, you have, you're starting the season at least with a healthy off- off- offensive line. And you also have a new head coach with new weapons that they brought in that were, you know, highly invested in. And I think there's some hidden upside that, that you can get. And the ADP kind of, kind of leads to, uh, the potential for this, for this, uh, upside to not cost you a ton. I mean, Miles Sanders, like I said, the 22nd, 25th running back off the board. I think that if you look at Miles Sanders' rookie year, it, it was a really solid rookie year. You know, the things that we were concerned about with him coming into the league was uh, potential fumbling problems, uh, didn't catch a ton of passes, uh, but, you know, he was a great runner. Then he came into the league as a rookie and he caught a lot of passes. He didn't fumble the ball. And he kind of struggled running the ball, and he kind of figured that would that would fix itself as he got older and more mature in, into his role. And then in his sophomore season, he was a great runner, but he couldn't catch the ball to save his life, and he fumbled a lot. So it was almost an inverse of his rookie year. Oh, you're selling me. So if you take if you take the upside of, of what you saw his rookie year and the, and the positives of what you saw in his sophomore year, and you put him behind a good, healthy offensive line. I think you can get some combination of the two, and I think he'd be totally startable as a RB two in your offense or on your fantasy team, Ooh, and one that you don't have to invest in child. that highly. <laughs> if he took the best running game he's ever had and combine it with the best no. receiving game, he's I ever said had, some combination. Extrapolate of, that of over sixteen games and make him play for ten. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. There's a time you gotta go and show you grow, and now you know about the facts of life. I got a question the for facts you. Of Sell life. me yeah. on some of these players right now, because talking about Philly in general, okay. Obviously, we've got Devontae Smith, who you and I are both very high on. We both like Devontae Smith. Yes. But of the other main players on that team, of Jalen Rager, Dallas Goddard, uh, Miles Sanders, any of these uh, new running backs that they just brought in, tell me which one of these guys can you guarantee is going to be even on the Eagles in three years, 2024. We don't like to look past that, so let's just say three years from now, who not named Devontae Smith is still playing a key role for the Philadelphia Eagles and include Jalen Hurts in that as well. I think it's a lot that Dallas Goddard will, will certainly be on the Eagles in three years. They're not, they're actively trying to trade uh, Zach Ertz and the report came out recently that they're more than likely going to keep him. I think that's only because nobody's buying them and they're not going to cut him and take a huge cap hit for no reason. I don't think it's because they want Zach Ertz on the field. Uh, Dallas Goddard going as the tight end eight. I think he represents a huge tear break in terms of 
the uh, where the tight ends are going. So I think he's a good investment at tight end eight, and I think he's going to be in Philly for a are long you, time. So are you confident in that, knowing he's going into his last season on contract? He's an un- unrestricted free agent yeah. next season. You think there's going to be something done? Yeah, certainly. I think the Eagles have historically prioritized the the tight end position, and they usually get yeah. paid early. That's true. Uh, so I, I think he, you could expect him to sign a contract mid, by midseason this year. Okay. Um, and I think the upside with Jalen Hurts, um, he could be a top five quarterback with the way that he runs the ball. I mean, he could for be a fantasy, top three quarterback sure. with the way that he runs the ball. What does that Certainly, do for the yeah. weapons around him, though? Because in fantasy, the appeal is the, the, what he's going to do on the ground. And if he does that, it's going to come at the expense of the Ragers, the Goddards, and the Smiths. So, well, I, I, I think don't know. Devontae, Devontae Smith is in a position to get incredible volume because of the lack of talent around him. And the only reason I have Rager as a, a potential value is because he's going outside of the top 50 wide receivers. No, yeah, I agree with that. Rager probably is going at way too much of a discount right now. I yeah. I don't expect a lot of these pass catchers to have great 2021s. I think the only way that happens is if I'm just completely wrong about Jalen Hurts and he's a franchise quarterback. I, I don't see it happening, so I'm not really buying any of these guys, save Devontae Smith, just because I think he is talented enough that he can overcome the situation. I, I, w- I would agree that a lot of these guys are values right now. Even with Goddard, like you said, I think going as the tight end six, it's a huge Eight. gap from where he's going to Mark Andrews or TJ Hawkinson, whoever's going. We're talking about multiple round differences between these guys whenever they're picked. So I do agree with the values. Um, they're not necessarily guys I'm targeting, but I do think they are, for the most part, good values. Yeah, and you got to think that with the, the division they're in, they're going to try to have to keep up with the Dallas Cowboys offense and – if yeah, they, they want to succeed, though. if they want to succeed, it's not going to be because their their defense is keeping them afloat. Right, the Eagles' defense is is old and busted in the places that matter the most. So, I think they're going to be they're going to be fighting the clock to score points at the end of most games. It's going to lead to a lot of volume for potential fantasy assets. And you know, me and you have talked about Devontae Smith a ton, you and, and I, he's yep. going at wide receiver twenty one, I believe, uh, which may be a little rich for for some people. Uh, but I'm the other it. players, Miles Sanders at a low end RB two, I think he could he could beat that expectation. Jalen Hurts is a quarterback ten. Like I said, his upside is, is top three. Dallas Goddard at the tier break and Jalen Rager outside the top fifty all lead me to target these guys in one way or another. I'm not saying they're going to be the greatest players on your fantasy team, but where they're going, you can uh, you can mine some value out of that for sure. Speaking of guys who will not be elite on your fantasy team, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins running backs. Guys, I want nothing to do with. So first off, Miles Sanders. His ADP is continuing to decrease, which is a great thing. The bad news is it's still not low enough. He's going as an RB25. Miles Sanders? I did say Miles Sanders? Sorry, Miles Gaskin. He's going as RB25 right now, so the highest end RB3 out there. He's an unrestricted free agent in a couple years. He's a placeholder for whatever running back's going to take over at that time or sooner. I'm not sold at all on anything I saw out of Miles Gaskin last year. I think he's just a guy. He doesn't do anything special. That being said, he is in a position to see volume. So if you want to hang on to him, I'm going to sit here and discourage you from that. Miles Miles Gaskin, I almost did it again. Miles Gaskin is going to go through this season, and then either a free agent running back is going to come in, or Miami's going to invest a day two pick like they tried to do this offseason before Denver traded ahead of them. And they're going to take that running back position, and Miles Gaskin is suddenly going to have no volume. Get out now while you can still see a green pasture with a solid 2021 in front of you. If you can get 
anything for Miles Gaskin, a second round pick, a role player to come off your bench, I'm taking it because his volume is or his value is going to be completely non-existent. The thing fantasy owners are hanging their hat on was what you saw out of him when he was the lead back demanding targets. And he tried to come back a couple times throughout the season when he wasn't all the way healthy. So let's just take a look at that first half, the first eight games where he was the lead back. His first half pace extrapolated out over 16 games would have been 200 carries for 774 yards and four touchdowns. So not good running the football whatsoever. The thing that was keeping him afloat was he was getting decent volume in the receiving game. He was on pace for what would have been 60 catches. That's fantastic out of a running back. The downside is it still would have been under 400 yards. It was check down after check down with nothing in front of him. He's a solid pass catcher, but he's not this kind of pass catcher like uh, an Alva Kamara or Darren Sproles or someone who can make something happen after the catch. He's just a guy out there. So he had a whole bunch of catches, hardly any yards, didn't score a lot. He just doesn't have it. He's not that difference-making running back. And because of that, Miami's going to move on from him. I expect the catches, even if he does play all season, I expect the catches to be way down this year because of all the weapons that they added in the passing game. Last year, Miles Gaskin might have been the second-best receiver on that team. Now he's at the best number four. All right, they've got better receivers that they just brought in. There's going to be targets all over the field for Tua now, so I expect a lot of these checkdowns to go away. And then you have Sal, uh, Salvan Ahmed. I, I'm not even taking a flyer on him. He's if Miles Gaskin is just a guy, I don't even know if, if Ahmed is that. He he's someone that I guess if you have Gaskin, <laughs> you throw him at the shit. bench. Like he showed me less than nothing. He's an exclusive right free agent in 2022, so maybe they keep him around if they're not able to get someone in the draft. But he's no one I'm ever going to be putting in a lineup. So what's the point of having him on your fantasy team? Neither one of these running backs are making more than a million dollars on any given year. It's easy to move on. I'm trying to move on now while there's still some demand, at least for Gaskin. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But at what point do you do you bite the bullet and you take Miles Gaskin? Because from what it looks like, I mean, leading into the season now, it looks like he's a one-year rental on a good offense, and uh, he's going to get some volume. Can I just say no? Do I have okay. to give you a number? Because like okay. whatever number no. I give you, I'm talking I, about round. Just give me like a rough, like a rough. I know, round like you would... whatever number I throw at you, I guarantee you there's someone else I'd rather have. Like so, fifteenth, sixteenth uh, round. Uh, sure, yeah, because I'm I'm going to be naming backup running backs like Alexander Madison, who have a path to upside Whoa. that I would take, would take before him. You would take Alexander Madison. I would. There, there's no scenario that Miles Gaskin is a going to be an RB one this year or two have any value a couple years from now, Alexander Madison. I can at least sit here and cross my fingers that Dalvin cook isn't playing. And then at least there's upside in front of me, but I, and Madison's proven when he's had the lead role that he can be good. I never saw any of that out of Gaskin. That's, that's a hot take. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like, you know, Mount Vesuvius hot, but it's it's not a prediction. I'm not saying Alexander Madison's going to be a better running back. I'm saying if everything goes right for both of these guys, Madison's going to be significantly better. All right. All right. You know, have, you know, that's your opinion, dude. Am I wrong? Is anything I just said wrong though? We talked about it before. I don't think you should be investing in Miles Gaskin, but if you're uh, a team trying to win a championship right now, what's the harm in, in holding him and, if Miles you know, Gaskin has to start for you, you're not in a position to win a championship. I'm sorry. If you oh, have to rely on him. an insurance policy. Yeah. Just, I'm going to say no again. <laughs> yeah. He hits me with the, <laughs> meh. 
<laughs> I'm just, I can't do it, man. All right. Well, you know, hey, I don't, I don't blame you, really. I don't. But I think it's time for me to hit my second offense to avoid this year and, and for, in my opinion, for many years to come, the New York Giants. There's issues all over this offense, but as a unit, we're, we're seeing another pacing problem, right? 30th in the league last year, just behind the aforementioned New England Patriots. And I think it's also similar to the Patriots because it's, it's more of a design than it is anything else. They, they don't want to be, uh, you know, a fast paced, up tempo offense with, with Daniel Jones on center. Unlike the Patriots where they're keen on utilizing their offense a line more and, uh, that's why they run the ball a lot. I think the Giants are more invested in Saquon Barkley and running their offense through him. And last year when he got hurt, the offense was just, you know, they, they had no one to turn to and Daniel Jones couldn't put the offense on, on his back. And speaking of Daniel Jones, he's been proven incompetent, in my opinion. He's already mm-hmm. thrown 22 interceptions in his career and fumbled 29 times. Yeah, it's not good. Not that, and also he's been sacked eighty three times in his short career. I mean, yeah. that's partially a quarterback stat. Don't let it anybody is. tell you otherwise. I agree with you. Um, and not to, like they they their big investment in the offseason was was Kenny Galladay, and they spent a first round pick on Kadarius Tony. I like Kenny Galladay a lot as a player, but we we talked about this. I think on like our first or second, maybe even third episode. Um, I don't think Kenny G is going to see the volume or the efficiency needed to pay off his ADP, which is like a mid to low end wide receiver too. He lacks the efficiency because of Daniel Jones, not because of himself. He's a very good jump ball player, but Daniel Jones is the problem, not Kenny G. And if he doesn't get the volume that he got at Detroit, I'm not sure he can, he could pay that off. And then Kadarius Tony is a player who's quote unquote good at everything, which really means he's not good at any one thing. Yeah. And he's already behind the eight ball with the coat being put on the COVID list and, you know, some people see that first round draft capital and think, you know, it's not, you can't go wrong drafting a wide receiver who was picked in the first round by his team. But in my opinion, you can. And I think you're falling for a trap here if you take Kadarius Tony, um, where he's going in, in drafts or in rookie drafts at all. Let somebody else take him and scoop up value elsewhere. All around, I'm going to pass on the Giants pass catchers. Um, I might even be taking players ahead of Saquon because of this, this injury news. Um, but the, the one guy I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to take a late shot on is Evan Ingram. He had 100 targets last year. It was a terrible season. Yeah, he led the team. But a guy with 100 targets and the athleticism that he has may, might have a bounce back year. And if not, he's a free agent at the end of the year. So hopefully he can latch on elsewhere and, uh, you know, maybe take his talents elsewhere and be productive for you. But that's going to be a late, late shot. So I'm not too worried about that. So I, I wouldn't disagree with anything that you just said. All valid and definitely not an offense that I'm going out of my way to target. The The saving grace for New York, if there is one, is going to be Daniel Jones returns to the quarterback that he was when he had Saquon available. I got a split for you, and I'm just going to bring this up, not necessarily using it to justify one way or another, but I've talked about it before, the splits with Daniel Jones with and without Saquon Barkley. So a 12-game sample of him with Saquon, 15 games without. So he averaged 20 points a game on 36 pass attempts, 23 completions, 248 yards, two touchdowns, and less than one interception when he has Saquon Barkley. And that's solid. Those are solid numbers 
it, it's enough to at least support one fantasy relevant, if not two fantasy relevant receivers. Now out of split, he's been terrible. This is the Daniel Jones that we got used to last year. And I think everyone's just sort of accepting for the norm in his 15 games without Saquon, he gets down to 13 and a half fantasy points, 19 completions on 31 pass attempts under 200 yards a game, less than a touchdown and 0.9 interceptions per game. So yes, he has been awful when Saquon Barkley's not on the field. That's something to hang your hat on if you are invested in this team, if you do, or if you are holding out hopes for a bounce back, is that Daniel Jones has been a completely different quarterback when Saquon's been on the field. So hopefully if he's healthy, everyone goes out there, Daniel Jones, maybe he returns to form, but all the warning signs are definitely there as well. Yeah, and it's not like they their offensive line has gotten much better, if better at all. And yeah, it's... You you got you're hoping for internal improvement with that team. It's a very young offensive line that you're hoping is just going to gel eventually. And no, I don't think anyone's expecting them to be a top ten unit, but they have improved from where they were a couple years ago. I'll ask you this: like those later round pass catchers in New York, like Sterling Shepard or no. Darius Slayton, are no. you at all interested in them? No, no, no. Okay. I'll, so I'll take you- Kenny Galladay if I need some receiver help there, I still think he's a value where he's going. Evan Ingram, like you said, not a bad shot at tight end late, but everyone else in that passing game, no, hands off. I'm worried with those splits. I mean, I think they, they tell a story, but you can't bank on that because of how long ago it was and the fact that oh, – What was last season? Saquon, I mean, that includes season that includes games from early last season. How many games did he play last year? Saquon? Yeah. I think he played, he played like a quarter, double check real quick, but he, he yeah. played – a few games. And he's also coming off a massive knee injury that he's not yet recovered from. So he I don't played know two if they're games. Gonna... Sorry. He didn't, so two he games. didn't play as much yeah. as I thought. He played two games. And they're not going to want to just, at least I, I hope they don't for Saquon's sake, uh, going to want to throw him out there and use him with the massive amount of volume that they used him for previously. So, you know, are, are NFL teams going to be game planning against Daniel Jones? No. Maybe that opens up some things for him, but I still don't think he's talented enough to take advantage of any defense in the NFL. Speaking of talent, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Baltimore running backs who I am targeting going into this season. So I'll make this one quick because we've already went into pretty big depth on the guys in front of this, but the Baltimore Ravens running game. I'm a big fan of these guys. You got J.K. Dobbins going at RB13. I think he's properly priced there as a sort of high-end RB2 without the pass-catching ceiling. I think that's what we could about expect from them, but I am a fan of having that as the RB2 in my lineup. The RB2 on that team, Gus Edwards, however, he's going at a massive value right now. RB47 off the board. And I'm going to paint a picture for you where both of these guys can be fantasy relevant. Because I think that's what the worry is when you think about Gus Edwards so late. Is that if this is J.K. Dobbins' backfield, how can both of them be successful? So there were six games last season... J.K. Dobbins took over the backfield and received more than 50% of the snaps. So this is after the Ravens move on from Mark Ingram. The offense improves as a result of that, and J.K. Dobbins is the lead back. So in those six games, he held a 16-game pace of 213 carries for 1,085 yards, 11 touchdowns, and 16 catches for 120 yards. So I think that's a pretty reasonable stat line of what I think we could expect from J.K. Dobbins in 2021. I don't think that efficiency is anything crazy. He showed crazy efficiency last year, so I don't think 213 for 1,085 yards is anything out of the realm. 11 touchdowns is a decently high number, but when he took over as the lead back uh, week 11, I think it was, he scored seven touchdowns in the last seven games of the season. So he was very consistent 
as a scorer, he was definitely getting the goal line touches for Baltimore. And it's an overall good offense. It should have plenty of scoring opportunity. But that all that extrapolated out puts him at the RB14, if you use those numbers for this last season. So about where he's going right now, I think that's a pretty decent spot. But the one I really want to make the argument for is Gus Edwards. I'm not going to extrapolate Gus Edwards' best games. I'm going to extrapolate J.K. Dobbins' best games, those ones at the end of the season where Dobbins was the lead back, what everyone expects to happen this next season. And I'm going to tell you how Gus Edwards did in those six games. He would have had 162 carries, so about... 40, 50 less than Dobbins, 779 yards on the ground. He scored the same amount of touchdowns as J.K. Dobbins did over that stretch. 11 touchdowns would have been a 16-game pace. And then throw in 19 catches for 235 yards. All that would have made him the RB20 this year. So right there as a mid-range RB2. I think that's probably somewhere near Gus Edwards' ceiling, but the fact that he does present that RB2 ceiling and the fact that he's going in the double-digit rounds as the RB47 tells me that this is a guy I'm going to be getting a lot of in startup drafts. I'm concerned about Gus Edwards because of the the touchdown numbers. It's it's similar to uh, we see with guys like Mark Ingram a few years ago. When these guys that aren't exactly the the RB1 on their team, they have a lot of touchdowns, uh, you can't project them to get that same amount of touchdowns. And if they don't, if they, they have less touchdowns, they're 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 ranking their RB, you know, two status or three status, whatever it is, drops significantly because they're not getting the volume uh to maintain their spot in the rankings. And I you know, as much as I like Gus Edwards as like a breather back, I, I, I can't in any good conscience predict him to have double digit touchdowns. Uh, with Lamar taking a lot of rushing work, especially near the goal line, and J.K. Dowens, who was used heavily around the goal line last year, I'm not sure that Gus Edwards can ever get back to RB2 or, or get back, get to RB2 with your, uh, with your extrapolation that you're talking about here. But. So, so with those same numbers, if I were to take his 11 game or 16 game pace down from 11 touchdowns to just five, if that's a more realistic projection, that would have put him at RB28 on the season, right there with Chase Edmonds from last That sounds season. more realistic. I think I think that's probably more of what we can expect. Like I said, that projection was probably somewhere near the ceiling, but a mid-range RB3 that you can get in round 12, sign me up. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that for sure. And plus, not even talking about the upside that he has should anything happen to Dobbins and he takes over as the lead back. Now his ceiling is probably high-end RB2, maybe even low-end RB1. My next offense that I, I want to target is the New York Jets. I'm going to kind of speed through this. We're running pretty long on this one. Um, I've talked about how much I like the Jets um, here in the past few episodes, but I was talking about a, a few players specifically. Uh, Zach Wilson, he's going late QB2 range in most drafts. Uh, he was the only quarterback outside, or he is the only quarterback outside of Trevor Lawrence that's going to be starting right away. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. You can make your judgment early, get out from one of them quickly if you need to, or if he's good, he's great. You know, you're going to keep him on your team for a long time. He's a good young quarterback. And quarterbacks hold their value. So even if he's not that good, I mean, remember how many times somebody told you Sam Darnold's actually good. Don't worry about it. He's just in a bad situation, right? Yeah. Quarterbacks hold their value. So the investment in Zach Wilson, is it's not one that I think you're going to regret. I think he's going to be solid. Um, maybe some growing pains in year one, but hold on. I think he's going to be good. And it's always worth drafting quarterbacks and super flex. Elijah Moore talked about him a ton, especially last episode. Yep. Uh, spoiler alert: He's very good. He'll demand a lot of work as a, as a rookie, uh, and he's going as a wide receiver forty. So give me that all day. And finally, Michael Carter going as a mid RB three, probably a little rich for me, uh, but there is some upside because of his pass catching ability and an ambiguous backfield. So 
uh, you know, take him if you want him as a 22-year-old rookie. I won't pay you for it. I'm glad you hedged when you got to Michael Carter because it just so happened to work out that one of the offenses you're targeting is one of the running games that I'm avoiding, the New York Jets running Mm -hmm. game. I agree with everything that you said about the passing game. I'm a huge fan of where you're getting Zach Wilson in drafts because you have the four main quarterbacks, five if you want to include Mac Jones, where you're going to see the first three fly off the board quickly, and then it usually seems to be a pause with some hesitance before Zach Wilson goes, another pause, another break, and then we see Mac Jones go. But this was the number two overall pick in the draft, and this was not a well-kept secret by the Jets. They made it known weeks before the draft, hey, this is our guy. We're a big fan. Trevor Lawrence is going to be gone, and we're completely happy with getting Zach Wilson. So I think that people are sort of underselling him and picking him at his floor because of the stink that is the New York Jets team over the last decade. But I think it is helping him to go at a value. These running backs, however, I can't get on board with any of them because I don't think a couple years from now, many, if any of these guys are even going to have roles on this team anymore. So I'm going to start with the worst. I'm going to work back to the best. Tevin Coleman going as the RB69. Nice. He's on a one-year deal, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. His rushing attempts, rushing yards, receptions, receiving yards, all those stats have decreased year after year over the last three seasons. He can't stay healthy, and he's an older running back. The thing is, he's a carryover from the Shanahan offense, obviously going from San Francisco. Now he joins his head coach and new offensive coordinator in New York. So I think he was brought over to sort of help that backfield come along, get up to speed with the new offense. I wouldn't be surprised if he's leading the team in touches for the first few weeks, but anything beyond that, I'm, I'm really surprised if he has any role whatsoever. Going just ahead of him, LaMichael P. Ryan. This guy's a bruiser back, so he's going to have his role on the team, but it's not going to be a fantasy-friendly one. He's not going to catch a ton of passes. I don't think the offense is good enough that he'll be scoring many touchdowns. He's a below-average athlete, and he hasn't produced in the opportunities that he's got. He has 64 career carries for 232 yards and two touchdowns in 10 games. It's, it's not anything to get excited about. And on top of that, he's the only running back that we're going to talk about in this backfield who was not picked by this new regime, this new uh, Salah and LaFleur offense. He's the incumbent, and we know how that usually fares for those types of guys. And then Michael Carter, the one that some people are working themselves up to be excited about. Five foot eight, 201 pounds, so he's a smaller running back, and he doesn't really come with the athleticism you want to see from those smaller running backs. He's a below 50th percentile athlete in the 40-yard dash, speed score, burst score, bench press, all these different categories where... You want your small running backs, these satellite backs, to be able to use their athleticism to win on the outside, and Carter really doesn't have that athleticism. He doesn't have the draft capital. He was a day three pick, although early, when in the fourth round. He was an older running back, an older prospect at 22 years old. He just doesn't profile as a lead back. I think there's a very good chance, because of the friendly Shanahan system, that we'll see some spike games out of him here and there, but he's never a guy that you're going to feel okay about putting in your starting lineup. Okay, so... Who do you hate more, Michael Carter or Miles Gaskin? <laughs> oh, that's good. They're going very close. Gaskin is the RB25. Carter is the RB27. Ooh, that's a tough one. Gosh, I said no too many times. I think I feel like I have to answer that one. So this is Dynasty, and I have to hold on to one of them? Yep. Yeah. You're on the clock. You're looking for give your me, RB4. Or you want RB3, give RB4. Me, give me Michael Carter, and I don't feel good about it. I take Michael Carter, and I hope all the running backs around them go missing, and he's the only one in the backfield. And <laughs> I'm investing in the New York Jets offense, specifically the running game, the floor's running game more than I am for Miami. I think you made the right choice. Hey, thanks, good man. Good job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to close this out with my last offense I'm avoiding, and that is the Raiders. 
the Raiders in general, but the Raiders just outside of Darren Waller. Uh, they, they were 10th in points scored last year. I think that's kind of overshadowing the concerns that I have because they lost four starters in the offensive line. Richie Incognito was released. Gabe Jackson was traded. Trent Brown was traded. Rodney Hudson was traded. They have a lack of direction and creativity in general. They're in a division with three teams that are worlds ahead of them. I don't see a single player on this team other than down, Darren Waller that I want. Maybe you can convince me of a late shot on Ruggs or Brian Edwards, but if they fall apart again in year two, nobody would be surprised, and uh, it would just be setting a pick on fire. So I'm out on the Raiders. That was as quick as I could tell you. <laughs> That's fast. That's it, man. We did it. We got to the end of our offenses to avoid or target in fantasy segment, and I had fun with this one. I did a lot of research on it. It was good. Same here. If you want to stay up to date and breaking news around the NFL, we put it out from our socials at FFlexecution on Twitter. Follow me at FFMasterDebater. All right. Goodbye, people. Say goodbye, Kyle. It's been real. Shout out to Dylan and Dwight. Can't wait to have you guys on the show. Love you guys. Peace. Let's get